Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Boy, it sure is nice to be back with you all and have you joining me here on the Last Symptom Podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. Thank you for uh, listening this week. Lots of you know that uh, for two straight weeks, I didn't have a show. The first one was planned. The first uh, break from the show was planned. The second one was not planned. What happened was that uh, not this Tuesday, but the prior Tuesday, I woke up with uh, COVID. And uh, so it knocked me for a loop, I'm telling you. I was out out of order for that entire week and to be perfectly honest with you today waking up this morning is the first day that I have literally felt back to 100% since I got sick last Tuesday so I was so sick I was lying around I couldn't do nothing I couldn't uh, I definitely wouldn't have been able to sit down and record a show my voice wouldn't have handled that My, my throat was so sore but definitely the worst sore throat I've ever had in my memory but you know how it goes the latest misery is always the worst misery ain't it well we've got lots of good things to talk about this week I mean a lot of things and uh, so I'm probably not even going to get to all of it but um, what I wanted to warn you atheist uh, listeners about is that I do intend to close out the show with some God talk and specifically what I'm going to address is the idea of God as an enabler and this is specifically for those listeners who uh, do believe in God and who their beliefs you know form a a legitimate important aspect of their recovery that they have to sort some things out have to come to some fresh understandings before they can marry certain concepts together and so I'm going to do that for them but I'm, I'm warning you now so that you folks who don't want to hear that sort of talk or if you're offended by that sort of talk you can listen to the whole program today and then at the end when we get to that part if you want to tune out you're not going to hurt my feelings so I just wanted to give you a heads up on that the last full show that I did do you remember what the theme was on that show the theme was that feelings will betray intellect every time Feelings will betray intellect every time. And I talked about how uh, people being enslaved to their feelings, much that it has a much greater force over most people than their intellect does. You remember that discussion? What was interesting was that when I posted that to YouTube, I kept seeing likes appear for that program. I thought it was one of the best episodes that I've done yet. Most important, I should say episodes that I've done yet so I would see likes appear on it but then the show would go along and then people would take back their likes why do you think people were taking back their likes do you remember what I mentioned at the end of that episode that might have caused people to reevaluate their likes it was Anthony Fauci I brought up Anthony Fauci at the very end to use him in a real-life example to show how in real life most scientists and intellectuals are also just slaves to their feelings when all when everything's said and done. Now, who is Anthony Fauci? Anthony Fauci has become a symbol 
dividing two ideological lines. Um, and I don't care which one you're on or if you're on any of them. That's not the point. The point is that he represents an, ideology, an ideological line. People took sides during the pandemic. You were either pro-Fauci or you were against Fauci. Now, whichever one, again, you are, does not matter. I'm simply pointing out that the theme of the entire show was that feelings will betray intellect. That people, their feelings have more power over them and control their behaviors more powerfully than their intellect does. And isn't it interesting for me to close the show mentioning Fauci and as I'm watching, as I'm gauging the uh, engagement with that show to see likes appear and then likes disappear. What can that only mean? What can it only mean? Did I say anything? Did I at any point express my personal opinion, opinion, opinion about Anthony Fauci? No. Not at any time did I express my personal opinion about Anthony Fauci. I simply related a completely true the completely true details of something I observed him do during the pandemic and use that as an example. So even with emotional honesty as my theme, and even as people watching this and getting, you know, an hour into it and thinking, wow, this is great, pressing like on the episode, but then uh oh. I bring up this symbol, this dividing line symbol of different political forms of thinking. And then people, some people were taking their likes back. Did they learn anything from the episode? Not if, not if that's what they were doing. Not if they were getting to that, becoming offended and showing an emotional loyalty to a symbol <laughs> rather than listening to the details the point of what I, that I was trying to make you know it, it's funny because if you can imagine where they're at in their head when they're watching that episode they're going and they press like on the show they're going wow wow th this information is insightful and valuable dot 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 what it was it was insightful and valuable until now now it's not it's not because he said this thing, and I don't like the way that makes me feel. It goes against what I feel. So now be honest with yourself. Are you one of the people who took back your like? And was that an intellectual decision, or was it an emotional decision? And if it was purely an intellectual decision, which is impossible, <laughs> it, it could not have been an intellectual decision. What? Because I'll tell you this. What about the story that I related was false? Remember, I, I, I didn't say it in that show, but I said it in a, an orange slice here recently. Um, rejecting a thing because we don't like how it makes us feel is not a legitimate reason to reject a thing. A legitimate reason to reject a thing is because it's false. That's a legitimate reason. And what determines what is true and false? Is it, is it this, our feelings? No, it's, it's our intellect, right? Our critical thought. If somebody lays the facts before you and doesn't offer an opinion, how can you reject facts? So, something to think about. Now, I wanted to tell you this. I do all right with the last symptom as far as followers go. I mean, I'm not, I'm not pulling in Michael Jackson numbers or anything like that, but I do all right. It's, for me, it's uh, quality over quantity. But... If I wanted to, now this is true, I'm just going to be honest with you here. If I wanted to, I could have so many followers that I would just be rolling in content, uh, likes, and hits, and views, and that sort of thing. Why do I say that I could have so many? I'm talking thousands and thousands, maybe even millions of followers. How do I know that I can have millions of followers? It's because I know the formula. Would you like to know what the formula is? The formula is that you merely say 
what people want to hear and like to hear. That's the formula. And if you want to get involved in a, on a political side of an argument, again, not offering you my leanings or anything like that, and it's not even relevant. The relevant thing is that right now, because passions are so stirred on both sides, if you wanted to just um, pick a side and then invest completely into it, you could have a million followers if, if you wanted to wade into that. But now here's what's going to happen, is it's going to ruin any legitimacy that you might want to have with anybody who does not share that that political ideology. So whichever side of it you're on, if you sell into it 100%, let's, or let's say sell out 100%, so that you can just get those numbers and you can have that sort of audience, then you can have it but it's going to be meaningless. It'll be a meaningless achievement, and I'll tell you why. Sometimes I look at the audience numbers for some of these personalities, online personalities and also television personalities, who appeal to one of the two political ideological groups of people, and I check to see what it is they're saying, and I check the numbers of followers that they have. When I see what they're saying, the whole point of their show or whatever is, and then I see the great numbers of people who are following them, it makes perfect sense. Because, why? Because they're following the formula. They know the formula. What is the formula? You say what people want to hear and like to hear. You see, so when you sell out 100%, to gain either the, let's not beat around the bush here, an audience that appeals uh, the right side of the political spectrum or the left side of the political spectrum. Whichever, whichever one you decide that you're going to sell out to 100%, and you start producing content for them and speaking to them, what's the formula? You're saying what they want to hear and like to hear. So it, they already think those things. You're not teaching them anything. You're just telling them what they want to hear. But in reality, what is the value of this work? Let's say that you were to manage to get a million followers. What is the value of the work? If I'm simply sitting here echoing back to you the things you already think and believe and feel, does my work have value or purpose? It really doesn't, does it? Beyond me taking advantage of human psychology to exploit and manipulate you for, to, for my own benefit. So I see, wow, a million followers. I could get them easy if I just say, if I just sell out to that. If I do that, I'm, I'm simply stating what I know you already believe. So I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm not trying to share anything to um, broaden your perspectives or anything like that or enrich your life I'm simply exploiting your human tendency to love hearing what you already think so half of you are going to hate me when I say this that when I look at people like Tucker Carlson Anderson Cooper Piers Morgan Don Lemon and so forth that is that is the formula that they're working with it's completely without value it's hollow it's exploitation and they are simply making a living off exploitation it so it doesn't matter which political ideology they belong to these talking heads on both sides of that on both on both teams let's say are are exploiting people in the same way. They aren't in the business of persuading anybody of anything. They're in the business of telling people who are already fiercely emotionally enslaved to their feelings what they already think and like to hear. They're just an echo. Just an echo. <clears throat> so, maybe that would be a good exercise for you. How emotionally honest can you be? 
look around at the shows, be honest with yourself, is Don Lemon really any different than Tucker Carlson? No. They're doing the exact same thing. They're speaking to themselves, basically. It's like they've got a but it's like Don Lemon has a bunch of Don Lemons in his audience and he's just talking to Don Lemon. And Tucker Carlson is doing that same thing. He's just talking to people who already think exactly that way. So if I'm simply putting words into if I'm simply putting words to what a million of you already feel, and somebody else is putting words to what a million of the rest of you feel and neither one of us is teaching anybody from the other side anything or persuading anybody in anything whatsoever what value does that work have what what value would it have for me to sit here for example all the time and just have a conversation with myself Brian I gotta tell you this summer humidity is terrible I'm telling you it's terrible we have an expression it's called uh, you're preaching to the choir right what sense does it make for me to sit here and just preach to myself about something I already believe you know I'd be sitting here if I'm talking to my clone I'd be saying hey why are you going on and on about this I believe you I I already believe and feel the same way what value does that have doesn't have any value it's completely pointless the popularity of it is completely meaningless except to benefit the host who is exploiting people's feelings. Here's an excerpt from uh, the book You Are Not So Smart by David McRaney, and he's quoting actually uh, Terry Pratchett from his The Truth, a novel of Discworld book. It goes like this, Be careful. People like to be told what they already know. Remember that. They get uncomfortable when you tell them new things new things you see aren't what they expect they like to know that say a dog will bite a man that's what dogs do they don't want to know that a man bites a dog because the world is not supposed to happen like that in short what people think they want is news but what they really crave is odes not news but olds telling people what they think they already know is true so some good things to think about there if you were one of the folks who uh, pressed like on that episode and then later took your like back it wasn't because I said anything inaccurate it wasn't an intellectual decision it was an emotional decision and if you are that weak under the power of your own feelings you know that's that is the crux of what emotional unhealth is rooted in so something really for you to to think about if if you can uh, stir yourself to think about that there's some noise here in the background I feel like I'm talking very loud it's my air conditioner and also I want to apologize in the last episode, I got a new mic set up here, and I was puffing into the mic a lot. I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> I hate working with noise, and I've got my air conditioner on, so I'm talking over the noise. I'd love to turn off the air conditioner, but I can't because it's uh, 400 degrees outside. So somebody asked me, should I stop being friends with somebody because they're unhealthy? Let me talk about this for a minute because I don't want to... I don't want you folks to believe that I'm giving you the wrong advice. I personally have an unhealthy friend. He and his wife I consider very unhealthy. So the question again is, should I stop being friends with somebody because they're unhealthy? In the past I've spoken about how if you look at somebody and at who they surround themselves with, you get a, a perfect reflection of who they are right as far as emotional health goes if I look at you and then I look at your large group of friends all the people who are closest to you and that you regularly spend time with I can get a sense of your emotional health based simply on observing your friends emotional health 
so again I got a friend he, he and his wife are real unhealthy but I value them as friends and I care about them my friendship with them also offers some benefits so for example I get to practice dealing with unhealthy aspects of how they are yeah in fact I think I've talked to you about how I've gotten so good at this technique that I call getting off the merry-go-round where I see that the merry-go-round has begun and I see that the merry-go-round is just going to keep going around like that in a discussion let's say where we're never going to agree on the thing there's we have a fundamental difference in perspectives on a matter and so neither one of us is going to convince the other of anything uh, once I perceive that that merry-go-round has begun turning then that that is the time when I'll say this is this is the time for me to exit the merry-go-round so I don't have to wait until I'm frustrated or angry or impatient or any of those things I sense it in me within me and it really comes from being mindful of what I'm feeling and how I'm feeling all the time and I don't know if I've told you you might think that that's very difficult it's not um, I also used to think that that would be very difficult to just be mindful all the time of what I'm feeling <clears throat> well let me tell you a technique that makes it a thousand times easier you don't have to be mindful of how you're feeling all the time the simplest way to do it is to simply be mindful of when you go to, from feeling pleasant to feeling not so pleasant that's the only thing you have to be mindful of so I'm constantly in a very content calm state 99% of the time it's a feeling of tranquility when my feelings my emotions go from feeling tranquil tranquil peaceful and calm to feeling agitated I notice it you see that is not hard to notice is it it's definitely not as hard as just sitting around being aware of exactly what you're feeling all the time so because that's just that's an impossibility so you don't have to demand that of yourself in order to have great control over yourself the only thing you have to do is recognize when you go from a tranquil tranquil uh, comfortable state like a peaceful state of feeling good to now your feelings are agitated or you feel frustration or you feel anything negative you know you know how that feels in your body right it's an instant agitation is what it is so I've gotten very good at practicing this technique with my friend Jeff <clears throat> we'll be going along I'll be really enjoying my time with him really enjoying his company we'll be talking along I'm not I'm not sitting there thinking about how I'm feeling but we start talking about something and I feel my feelings shift to it like in the direction of agitation or it's kind of like a, a feeling of wh where's this conversation going that is when the merry-go-round is starting to turn so that's when I take note and I might I might allow myself to talk along for another two three five minutes but once I recognize that I'm on the merry-go-round I'm immediately looking for my opportunity to get off the merry-go-round at that point before I ever get frustrated or angry or impatient or any of those things that we talked about so the only t reason that I've had the opportunity to practice this is because I have an unhealthy friend think about that if, if I'm if I'm around healthy people all the time that I completely agree with in everything what opportunities do I have to practice maintaining my emotional health and contentment and peace in real-world situations the only way you get good at that is with practice so maybe you're surrounded by a bunch of unhealthy people at work that's an opportunity for practice uh, maybe you have uh, unhealthy neighbors that you have to interact with from time to time maybe you have an ex that you share children with and visitation rights with and you have to have interactions with her if she's unhealthy that's your opportunity to practice 
we need the practice in order to get better because you try a thing and you say I failed I need to tweak my approach a little bit or I let the merry-go-round go for uh, merry-go-round go for too long uh, I, sh- I could have recognized it sooner I could have gotten off that that circus ride sooner so it's not bad practice is not bad and another thing I'd like to say about practice is that you can't fail at it think about a baseball player at batting practice can you fail at batting practice no the whole it's the whole reason for the back batting practice is so you can fail and try again fail try again fail try again and so every interaction we have with anybody in life is practice why is it practice because we're never going to be perfect at it ever because that would mean we were perfect and that's unattainable in this world so it's not a reasonable expectation for us to have of ourselves at all what's that mean it means that everything we do is practice you can't fail at it but you will get better and better at it the more of the practice you have won't you now in the past I've talked about the teeter-totter or the seesaw whatever you want to call it and I've said that the objective when it comes to relationships with people is uh, never that the teeter-totter be completely tilted in favor of emotional health why again is that cannot that why again can that not be our objective because that would be perfection and we're not perfect and we will never be perfect in this world so we cannot have as our objective perfection because that's only deflating it's it's only self-defeating it's not reasonable but what is reasonable is it reasonable that the teeter-totter be tilted completely in the opposite direction so all of our friends are unhealthy no that's not reasonable either because that's going to have an effect on us we're not going to enjoy them if we're healthy and if we spend enough time with them we will begin to they their influence will begin to rub off on us we it will make us unhealthy so the the way you go about it is that the teeter-totter simply has to be tilted more in favor of emotional health peace contentment tranquility just more in favor of not completely on the side of just more in favor of now if you look at your situation with your friends let's say you've got a couple unhealthy friends and you look at your life and you realize that your teeter-totter is tilted more greatly in favor of emotional unhealth disorder and those sorts of things you might need to get rid of a couple friends or spend vastly less amounts of time with them you want to bring the teeter-totter not just into balance but tilted more fit uh, <clears throat> more greatly in favor of emotional health so my friends that I'm that I'm mentioning here they don't proactively add more negative into my life than positive if they did I wouldn't be friends with them or I would vastly cut back on my interactions with them as it is we only have dealings from time to time and so it's not like uh, it's not like we live together it's like I see them maybe once a month maybe twice a month at, at the most so there's nothing wrong with having a, fr- a friend or some friends who are emotionally unhealthy it gives you an opportunity to contrast your attitudes with theirs and to practice techniques for keeping your peace and contentment even when dealing with people who work against it having a friend who's unhealthy is also not the same as having unhealthy friends plural in general so it all goes back to that teeter-totter you look at your life and the influences that they are contributing to your life and make a decision based on where you find that teeter-totter remember that the teeter-totter is never going to be tilted completely in favor of complete peace and contentment because that would mean perfection what else would it mean it would mean an immunity to the realities that surround us in this world but uh, and so that's that's impossible we don't want to have those unreasonable expectations for ourselves that's not modest it's not realistic 
we want to be so healthy that we know how skillfully to handle unhealthy people and unhealthy things out there in the real world. Let's do some announcements. TheLastSymptom.com is my website full of free and paid resources. I hope you're taking uh, advantage of the free resources. Um, I also hope you'll take advantage of the paid resources because they're, they allow me to, to do this work. They support me. They support this work. They support all the free resources that I offer. The Last Symptom community is on Locals, the Locals platform, L-O-C-A-L-S. Somebody was just talking to me um, earlier this week and said, you know, I hesitated to join you guys there on Locals at thelastsymptom.locals.com because he said, <clears throat> it's like I, I needed more social media in my life, like I needed a bullet to the head. And <laughs> He said, but, but when I did join, I realized this is not just like pictures of grandma and stuff like that. This is constructive, good stuff. Uh, it's, and, and he's happy he joined. So that's something to think about. The Last Symptom Fundamentals course is a pre-recorded uh, program, a course that I offer. It's a two-week intensive course for those interested in authentically recovering from emotional disorders. Uh, such as borderline personality disorder. Check that out over in the paid resources tab over at thelastsymptom.com. And finally, this show's been available as a uh, video now on both Rumble and YouTube. And I can't go without mentioning the the orange slices. Those are daily little snippets, <coughs> little tiny, oh, about five-minute videos uh, that I upload every day that give you a, a real jolt of insight and good things to think about related to your emotional health. One of the posts that uh, we got this week on the Last Symptom community on Locals, uh, by the way, another way you can join us there is you can download the Locals.com app from the App Store and then just search for the Last Symptom. But one post somebody put there was this. I grew up in the same area of the country and around the same time as Brian. I'm fairly new to the community, but he has referenced a meteor in a couple of episodes that was so bright he could see his brother's shadow. I'm only to season 3, episode 19, where he palavered by the fire, and he referenced it again. Now here's the, the part that I kind of, it still kind of boggles my mind. He says, I saw that same meteor in a similar situation out with friends in the woods one night on a West Virginia hillside. It was one of the most memorable things I've ever seen. We happened to be near a clearing when it came, and we were on the highest elevation for miles. He says he was looking, he just happened to be looking in the direction where it appeared in the sky, and so he was able to follow it clear across the sky. You folks might remember me talking about this meteor. Um, I, I told the story about how my brother and I were outside, and uh, this thing streaked across the sky. It was so bright, it turned night into day and it cast a shadow off my brother so as it passed over him he was like a sundial the shadow just I, I watched it I watched the shadow around him as that thing streaked across the sky so anyway he uh, believes he see, saw the same meteor and I've talked to him about this and, and we started kind of doing the math and everything and what we believe right now is that it was the peak skill meteorite and here's what uh, Wikipedia has to say about the peak skill meteorite says it's among the most historic meteorite events on record 16 separate video recordings document the meteorite burning through the earth's atmosphere in October 1992 that would have been right around the time whereupon it struck a car parked in Peekskill New York United States there's a fragment you can go see at the Natural Museum of Natural History it's estimated to be four billion years old. Just four billion years. The meteorite fell on October 9th, 1992. Numerous residents of Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. described the huge greenish fireball. The meteorite broke up over Kentucky, passed over West Virginia and Pennsylvania on its north-northeast trajectory. See, that, that also is just too too much to be coincidence because that would have been the 
the tra trajectory it took would have been right over top of both me and the person that uh, says that he saw the same meteorite. Finally, it struck a parked 1980 red Chevy Malibu at approximately 7.50 p.m. Eastern Time. So, if you're interested in that, I think that's just fantastic that this meteorite that I've been telling stories about lots of uh, I don't know why I never considered looking it up to see if anybody else saw it this was before the internet you know but it's called the peak skill meteorite p-e-e-k-s-k-i-l-l -L. so you you can go to a museum now and see the meteorite that I watched cast a shadow off my brother like a sundial <clears throat> back around 1992 just real quick here is what others feel and think about you any of your business? Is it any of your business what other people feel and think about you? Well, it's not your business in the sense that they're wrong for not liking you or they don't have a right to feel however they feel about you. Still, sometimes what other people feel and think about you might be your business. For example, before I climb into a space capsule for a trip to Mars, it's my business to know what everybody thinks of me. I don't want to be 10,000 miles in outer space when I find out that they all hate my guts. You see, whether they hate my guts or not, that's their right. It's still their right. But I do deserve to know that before I put my life in their hands. So, something to think about. Our acceptance and denial qualities. Let's talk a little bit more about qualities. We've been talking about this a lot lately. What is a quality? <clears throat> a quality describes one's natural inclination. That's what a quality is. It describes your nature or your natural inclination. When you develop a quality, for example, love or patience, uh, you go from that, from just demonstrating a kind of superficial patience from time to time to adopting it as a quality. It now reflects your nature, your natural inclination when something happens that most people would get jump up upset about that's not your natural inclination your natural inclination is that typically just naturally the way that you would react is patiently you see and then it becomes then it is a quality so take love which we talk about often I've told you that it's not a feeling and it ain't an act it's a quality love isn't love until it and all of the other qualities that it depends on in order to exist start to become a part of your natural inclination. So think about um, abusive or uh, unhealthy families. Uh, you know, you can look around and see them everywhere. What are, the, what are the natural inclinations of those parents when somebody makes a mistake? What are the natural inclination of those children when somebody wants to play with their toy? You see it throughout there. What are what their natural inclinations are? Their nature, right? Is it one reflective of love? Not at all, is it? Impatience, anger, possessiveness, uh, and things of these sorts. So acceptance and denial, it's the same thing. They become qualities when they're adopted as a part of your natural inclination. Or your let's say your default nature in a very superficial way I can accept right accept for example that the Red Sox lose a baseball game to the New York Yankees why am I putting accept in air quotes because let's say that on the surface I just realized that technically they did the Yankees did win. I can see that that is the conclusion of the umpires and that the loss to the Red Sox is going to go on record, right? 
There's no denying it. That's what's hap- That's what's happened. I can accept it that way, right? But do you see how that's surface? Let's go a little bit deeper, what you say. What if I'm so emotionally opposed to the idea of the Red Sox losing to the Yankees that my feelings begin to come up with an excuse, excuse after excuse, for why they technically lost, but they didn't really lose. You see, they did not really lose because there's a lot of explanations that you got to take into consideration. For example, the Yankees cheated. The officials were all incompetent and corrupt. The home plate umpire kept calling the pitches wrong. The first plate umpire probably has a Yankees for life tattoo on his butt. And the Yankees pitcher had to have been greasing the ball. So, yes, I accept that it's going to go on record. That loss is going to go on record. But they didn't really lose, you see. They didn't. They couldn't have. Because of all of these explanations that, I, that I'm holding on to in my heart. So is that real acceptance? Is it real acceptance that I, I simply say, yes, the loss will go on record, but they didn't really lose? You remember when you were a kid playing kickball or something? And you would, or, or playing shoots and ladders or playing a cards with your brother or something. And he'd win, and you'd say, you, and you get so angry, and you say, you cheated, you cheated. You see it in westerns all the time, right? People always getting shot because the guy will jump up and throw the table up. He'll say, you couldn't have won, <clears throat> and shoot him dead. What is that an example of? It's an example of one's feeling saying, all right, I see that I did, I did lose, but I don't accept that I lost for real. Not for real, I didn't. So is that real acceptance? Is it demonstrating it as a quality reflective of my nature, of who I am, of my uh, natural inclinations? Ain't it true that if I'm so emotionally dishonest and ruled by my emotions when it comes to a Red Sox-Yankees game, that more likely than not, that is also my natural inclination in other areas of my life as well? Right? Because... If you can't demonstrate the quality of true acceptance for a pointless baseball game, are you going to demonstrate that in matters of um, relationships? How about business? You know, how about these other larger areas of life? So it's a, it is a comical example to use, but it's a useful one to use too because personally I would consider that a failure on my part if personally I would look at that if have upon catching myself rejecting the notion that they could possibly have lost to the Yankees for real and trying to scrounge up any possible explanation for it I personally upon catching myself would say I have more work to do I have more work to do in order to strengthen this quality. I, I believe I possess that quality of, of acceptance, but what I would say to myself is you've got more work to do to strengthen it and to adopt it more firmly as a quality. So the guy that we just described, he's, he is begrudgingly accepting, quote-unquote, the reality of the technicality of the loss, but emotionally he's not. And so what's happening is that he's being emotionally dishonest and ruled by his emotions on that occasion and as we said surely he's like that in lots of other occasions as well that individual's natural inclination or default nature can't be said that it's acceptance can it what is it it's denial that's what denial is technically I accept that it will go down on record but emotionally, I don't accept it. Remember, um, I told you that acceptance is not an intellectual achievement. Acceptance is not an intellectual achievement. It's an emotional achievement. <clears throat> so the guy we're talking about in the example, intellectually, he's saying we lost. But emotionally, he's saying, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. Because I don't like that. I don't like the way losing makes me feel. So do you see why? Acceptance is not an intellectual achievement. 
it's an emotional achievement. What happens when a scientist gets the results back from a study and maybe even under the radar allows his feelings to help sway him in his interpretation of the results. That is an example of denial, isn't it? Because his feelings are determining the reality of the thing for him. And it's blinding him to anything that might contradict it. So the Red Sox guy, is he more inclined to desire to set his feelings aside in order to see the reality for what it just is? Or is he more inclined to let his feelings determine his reality for him? We already know the answer to that. So, denials when our feelings determine reality. Acceptance is the healthy and equally as powerful opposite. It's when we choose to prefer to see reality, no matter how we feel. Remember that denial is powered by emotion. Acceptance also is an emotional achievement, but what is the end result of achieving acceptance? Critical thought, emotional honesty. So whichever one is more greatly reflective of your nature as a person is the quality you have developed. Are more people walking around having strongly and firmly developed the quality of acceptance or are more people walking around having firmly developed the quality of denial? When you look out at the world, which one more accurately describes or reflects the world's natural tendency or greater inclination, greater natural inclination. Whatever that is, that's the quality they've developed. All right, we've only got a few more minutes, so you folks who uh, uh, don't want to hear any God talk, now would be the time for you folks to uh, to log off or to go listen to something else. And I just want to thank you for uh, being my audience this week. Really enjoyed you having here having you here. I hope to see you uh, next week. Uh, didn't get to cover even half of what I wanted to talk about this week, so we'll have a lot of good stuff next week. The rest of you who want to hear this discussion about whether God is, uh, or the discussion of God as an enabler, that idea. I'm sharing this with you because this is an insight that I gained as a God-fearing person myself, and this is, these are insights that I gained from my own struggles and self-improvement. Let me ask you what is required, what is absolutely required for self-improvement that none of us probably enjoy too much. One word. One word. You might want to write it down. It's struggle. Struggle. Struggle is absolutely required for self-improvement. Struggle. If you think about it, it is the very process of struggle and exertion <clears throat> that makes us strong. It, ain't that true? What is that true for? Well, it's true for our muscles, isn't it? What else is it true for? Well, it's true for our brains, isn't it? Think about the process of learning algebra or of memorization or of trying to wrap your mind around quantum physics. What else is it true for? It's true for spiritual health. What do all these things require? Exertion and struggle. <clears throat> Why? Exertion and struggle are what strengthen and refine. Do you think that God is not aware of this? that it is struggle and exertion that are what strengthen and refine us as people here in the physical world? One thing that I've learned as a God-fearing person myself is that a, a healthy relationship with God and authentic recovery from a lifetime of emotional unhealth are very intimately related. There are so many parallels between the two things. There's almost no difference. 
they share a multitude of similarities and comparative elements. So let's say that you're a person who wants to understand God or you want to develop a relationship with him. Does God want to help you find the answers that you're looking for? For example, why does God allow suffering? If he's all-powerful, why doesn't he do something? Would you like to know the answer to that? Well, I'm not going to answer it for you because I'm not, t I'm not, I'm not feeding you a fish. I'm teaching you how to fish so that you can go catch your own fish. So the answer is yes, God wants to help you find the answers, but, but he won't do anything that allows you to lazily wait for things to be done for you that you could and should be doing for yourself. Let me say that one more time. God won't do anything for you that allows you to lazily wait for things to be done for you that you could and should be doing for yourself. Do you see the comparisons there between trying to have a healthy relationship with God and also trying to escape emotional unhealth? If, let's say you're married to somebody who's very unhealthy, <clears throat> emotionally unhealthy, what happens when you make all of the appoints, appointments for that person with the therapist? What happens when you're the one who goes to the store and buys all the books? What happens when you're the one who does all the research to see how to recover from this emotional disorder and you're doing all these things for that person? Does it help? Or does it enable? It enables, doesn't it? Remember what the key ingredient to authentic recovery is? Self-initiation. The person has to want it for themselves for real. So, do you think that God is not aware of that phenomenon or that, uh, that reality that exists for, for us as human beings? That self-initiation is the only way it works? I want to tell you a story about me working at a business supply store in my uh, early 20s so I had left the monument company where I which was my first job I'd worked there for a long time and then I went to work for a business supply store and one of my jobs when I started there was on Mondays we would have a paper delivery and so this big truck would pull up outside on the street and um, I would have to take a dolly cart outside and we would load the thing to the top with these boxes of paper and I, I think we would have like sometimes 100 boxes, 50 boxes that I would have to load up on the dolly cart, tilt back, pull up on the sidewalk, get it around the side of the building and pull up a ramp and into the store. Very specifically I remember that the very first day that I performed that part of my job it almost killed me. It was so hard. I remember thinking, holy mackerel, I got to do this every week? This is going to kill me. Finally got all the paper in there. But you know what? <clears throat> I also very distinctly remember one day when I was right in the middle of that. This is about a year into the job. Uh, I was right in the middle of hauling all that paper in on one Monday morning, like had become the custom. And in the middle of it, I thought, boy, this is so easy now that I don't even think about it. I don't even think about it. I mean, I do it like like nothing, like taking a walk down the street. It, it's no struggle at all. I distinctly remember that. It had become so simple. Now, what if... I had somebody to step in at every opportunity <clears throat> and say, Brian, look, you don't have to do that. 
You just stand there and watch. I'll do it for you. And what if I had somebody else who would step in and grab the dolly cart, tilt it back, you know, load up all the paper, and haul it in for me? What would have happened after a year? Would, would my strength have ever increased? What would happen if you go to the gym and uh, one of the employees there, every time you go to the gym, were to bear most of the weight of everything you try to lift so that you don't have to exert yourself or feel uncomfortable? You see, that's the very definition of what enabling is. Anything that enables you to stay weak. Anything that enables you to continue as you are, that's enabling. So back to God. If God were to do certain things for you in your efforts to develop a personal relationship with, with him, would that not be an enabling behavior on his part? Yes, it certainly would be an enabling behavior on God's part if he were to do that. And that would violate his emotionally healthy laws and principles and he can't do that he can't do that why not because true concern and true interest in the well-being of others absolutely disallows certain things such as enabling others in any way that's negative you say, well, God is all-powerful. Yeah, God is all-powerful. But that is not the same as saying that God can do anything. He can't do anything. Think about that. God can't do anything. He can't do anything in a way that violates his own perfect laws and principles. Remember in the past we talked about this in the context of love. I told you that often genuine authentic love <clears throat> takes choice out of the equation. It takes it out of the equation. Sometimes love says you must do this, you must do it this way, and you absolutely cannot do any of these other things. To act in any other way would not be love. You see, sometimes love says, you can't do any of those things. You have to do this thing. Because to do anything else would not be love. To do it differently, in other words, would be acting completely contrary to love, so it couldn't be love motivating it in the first place. Well, God is bound in this way. He can't act in any way that violates his perfect laws and principles because to do so would not be reflective of love and in interest of the greatest long-term benefit for those he cares about. So he can't act in any way that enables you negatively. Never forget that. Never forget that when you're sitting around and thinking, why doesn't God do something for me? Or why doesn't he answer my prayer? It might be <clears throat> that he needs you to do something first because he can't act in a way that enables you, enables your, your unhealth, be that emotional unhealth or spiritual unhealth. However, if you're putting in an effort to know him, remember, I'm just sharing, you, sharing with you things that, that I have come to see <clears throat> over the years in my own recovery and the comparisons that I have learned to make between what was required of me to escape emotional unhealth and get healthy for real and now the comparisons and the the similarities I see in the same struggle for somebody who is spiritually completely alienated from God who wants to improve their relationship with him alright if we are putting in an effort to know him, to understand insightfully issues related to him and life with the right motives and God observes that, then what will you have done? You have opened up the possibility 
than for him to step in and support you and help you healthfully. What's the emotionally healthy, you know, speaking of emotional health, what's the emotionally healthy principle in our dealings with ourselves and others when it comes to matters of emotional health? Well, here's the, here's the principle. You always jump in to reward and celebrate any healthy attitudes, thinking, and behaviors, and you in no way reward or support any unhealthy attitudes, thinking, or behaviors. Think about how that applies to us in our own efforts, right? We recognize that we're doing something good and healthy and positive that's moving us forward. We celebrate that. It is proper that we do so. We celebrate it. We reward it. But what if we catch ourselves doing, thinking, uh, having unhealthy attitudes or anything that negatively impacts our emotional health is that something we reward or celebrate if we're genuine people genuinely trying to get healthy no we just don't reward it in any way what about our dealings with others say you're married to somebody who is emotionally unhealthy and you're trying to uh, figure out the the right type of support remember you're always supporting one thing or the other it, there's, you're never not supporting something. You're either supporting their emotional unhealth or you're supporting their emotional health. So when people say, well, I just want to support the person, I just want to support the person, okay, but you already are. You already are. But if the person is so unhealthy, <clears throat> clearly you've been supporting the wrong thing, right? You've been enabling. Enabling, enabling is also support, if you, if you think about it. <coughs> it's just bad support. So, when we're dealing with other people, say you got a wife or a spouse or somebody who's trying to claims they want to get better, then what are you doing? What is your job? Your job is to celebrate and reward anything positive that you see in them. Any positive attitudes, any positive thinking, any positive behaviors. <coughs> celebrate, reward. What about the negative attitudes, the unhealthy attitudes, the unhealthy thinking, the unhealthy behaviors. What do you do towards those things? You don't support that or celebrate it or reward it in any way. Now let's go to God. What's God's manner of dealing with us in spiritual matters? Knowing that he can't violate his own righteous principles and laws what is God's manner of dealing with us in spiritual matters he will always jump in to celebrate and reward the positive positive attitudes positive thinking positive behaviors things that are going to be good for you things that are leading you in the right way what will he what will he never reward or support in any way <clears throat> any spiritually unhealthy attitudes, thinking, and behaviors. So that that's uh, something I wanted to share with you folks. I know that um, you know it was important for me to be able to make sense of these things uh, when I was trying to recover myself as somebody who believes in God and <clears throat> who has that as an important part of my life. So <clears throat> I won't preach at you anymore. I did have a lot more here written <clears throat> but maybe if you'd like to know what I had written you can reach out to me <clears throat> excuse me on the last symptom group on locals and I'd be happy to share it with you I'd be happy to share the whole outline of today's program folks thank you so much for uh, dealing with me and being patient with me while I try to recover from being sick as you can tell Apparently, I've got some cough and phlegm here starting to strike me as the evening gets on. But I'm glad I was able to do this show. Thank you for tolerating the sound of the air conditioner. Like I said, I can't turn it off. It's 2,000 degrees in here. And um, I will talk to you folks next week, hopefully, unless I get struck by lightning or uh, attacked by Bigfoot. So hopefully those things won't happen, and I'll be talking at you real, real soon. You folks take care. 
Cheer up, sleepy Jean. Oh, what can it mean to a daydream believer and a homecoming queen? que a veces no me gusta tu forma de ser luego te me desapareces y no entiendo muy bien por qué no dices nada romántico cuando llega el atardecer te pones de un humor extraño cada luna llena al mes pero a todo lo demás le gana lo bueno que me das solo tenerte cerca siento que vuelvo a empezar yo te quiero con mi monizal yo te quiero tal y como estás no hace falta cambiarte nada yo te quiero si vienes o si vas, si subes y bajas y no estás seguro de lo que sientes.